You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. Think about every time I go over to the to the store and walk through the produce market and you see all the different fruit and you think, isn't it wonderful all the things that God has for us, those of us who know Him, those of us who are called according to His purpose. Galatians chapter 6, we began looking a few weeks ago at what it looks like to be born again, to have the weeds of our life gone so that the fruit of our spirit might come forth. And you know, today we come to the subject of peace. The Bible says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, is joy, and peace. A lot can be told about a person by how they handle a storm, by how they handle a trial, by how they handle tribulation in their life. In the midst of turbulent times, we can look inward and try to find peace, and you'll never find it. We, we can look outward and say, well, I bet if I had this relationship or, or, oh, doctor, can you give me something to give me peace? Oh, friend, can you give me something to give me peace? Oh, you know, clerk over at the convenience store, how about getting me one of those bottles back yonder? I believe it'll give me Oh, no, friend. It isn't about looking within. It isn't about looking without. It's about looking up. For true peace comes from God. Here's what the Bible has to say about peace. Now listen. Peace is a fruit of God's spirit, just as anxiety is a product of our human nature. Did you know it's natural to worry? Did you know it's natural to be filled with anxiety? But it's supernatural to have peace. It's part of God's spirit. It's one of those fruit. To live in fear is to live in the flesh, but to live in peace is to live by faith. There's never been a time in our nation when Christian people are going to be more tempted to live in the flesh, to to be more tempted to walk by sight, to be more tempted to live in fear and anxiety. Well, this morning I want to share two things with you, and I'll be brief. The staff has been telling me every time I say I'm going to be brief, people roll their eyes and go, oh, no, we're in for a long one today, but, but I will. Two things, and and they're very, very simple. I want to go ahead and give it to you and tell you what we're going to talk about and then go look at two places in Scripture, Mark 4, Matthew 14, beginning in Mark 4, then going back over to Matthew 14. Here's what we're going to look at. Number one, considering the storms of life. Sometimes God chooses to calm our storms. Sometimes He chooses to calm our storms. Praise God, I like it when that happens. That, that's my vote. God, calm the storm. In fact, God, if you just calm it before I sail into it, it'd be fine with me. But he doesn't always choose to calm our storm. Number two, we're going to look at the fact that sometimes God chooses to calm us in the midst of our storm. Here's some things I want to give you by way of introduction. A few certainties about storms. Now you say, well, preacher, we expected a patriotic message. Friend, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out that our nation is in the biggest storm we've ever known. We are fighting an enemy. His name is Satan. (laughs) Now you say, well, we're fighting the Taliban. We are. We're fighting Islamic extremists. We are. We're fighting all kinds of 
enemies that we can't even relate to because their method of warfare is different than anything we've ever known. True. But ultimately, every battle that you and I face is from an enemy who has been identified in the book of Genesis. But the storms that we are facing as a nation relate also to the storms that we face personally. So either way, think about this. Storms are inevitable. Now, I would like to tell you that the world's going to get better and things are going to be wonderful. It's going to be grand. One of these days, we're just going to have a party and everything's going to be fine. Everybody's going to get along. But my Bible says that as the return of Christ approaches, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Literally, things are going to get worse before they get better. Storms are inevitable. Number two, storms are unavoidable. You can try as you may, but storms are unavoidable. I heard the other day, I'm hesitant to share this because it might offend somebody, but it's okay. I don't think I've offended anybody today yet, so I might as well go and get it out of the way. Somebody asked me, they said, you know what, uh, what a redneck divorce and a Kansas storm has in common? In both cases, somebody's fixing to lose a single wide. I'm sorry, that really wasn't appropriate, was it? But anyway, if you live, I'm sorry, I, I, I want to live in a single wide. I like, I like, I want to live in a tiny house. It's like a single wide shrunk down. Anyway, I, I live in a big old house. All right. I like a tiny. Back to what I was talking about, y'all. If you live in Kansas, storms are in inevitable. Storms are unavoidable. Fact is, if you live on this planet, storms are unavoidable. Try as you may. You can put a sign outside of your life that says, Storms not allowed. The storm doesn't always listen. Number three, storms are always either authored by God or allowed by God. Whether it's author or allowed, God knows all about it. You might be tempted to think, well, if I love God, nothing bad's ever going to happen to me. Tell that to Job. He was a righteous man, lived righteous before God. Number four, storms are frightening. You know, it don't matter if you're as little as Teddy down here or big as Wilson back yonder. Storms are scary. You know why? Because they're bigger than us. They're bigger than us. Ah, but fifthly, storms are no match for our God. Amen. The storms that we face, they're no match for our God. Look with me, Mark chapter 4. I'll give you those two things and let you out of here. Mark chapter 4, God chooses sometimes to calm the storm. Verse 35. And Jesus, when the evening was come, he said unto the disciples, let us pass over unto the other side. There's something about that. Jesus said, come on, fellas, and I'm going with you. Praise God, if you're saved here today, if you're born again, if you're a child of God, he said to you, the moment he saved you, I'm with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you whithersoever thou goest. Anywhere, anytime, anyhow, I'm there with you. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. These are just witnesses. Always going to be witnesses. When we go through a storm, there are people watching us to see how we're going to weather the storm. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat onto the ship so that it was now full. And Jesus was now in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. Think about that. 
Jesus didn't look at the stormy seas and say, power, so that the seas would be still. Although he was more powerful than the seas. He did not look at the seas and say, mighty, although he was more mighty. He did not look at the sea and say, omnipotent, because I am all-powerful. But he used one word, and the word was peace. Now listen, when you and I go through the storms, we are tempted at times to say, well, I know that my God is more powerful than the storm. I know my God is mightier than the storm. But the fact of the matter is what he wants to issue to every heart, mind, and soul in this building is peace. Peace. Just stay calm. I've got this one. When Jesus spoke out to the sea, notice immediately, the Bible said that, The wind ceased and there was a great calm. And Jesus looked at the disciples and he said, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now think about these men were called, many of them, from a life of fishing, a life where they were used to storms, a life where they were used to these critical situations, but they were scared to death. They were panicking. They say one of the most difficult jobs on planet Earth today is that of a fisherman. You've seen all the programs the Bering Sea and all these places where these guys are out, you know, trying to get, uh, you know, uh, tuna and other things like that, you know. Wow. But they're scared to death. Scared to death. Jesus looks at them and said, why are you so scared? Didn't you know? I told you in verse 30 up here. He said, I told you I'd be with you. Now think about this. They went down into the hinder part of the ship and they took Jesus and they began shaking him and said, Master, don't you care? There's a storm. Master, don't you realize there's a storm? And there's a picture of you and me. Beloved, when we face the storms of our life, we are tempted to look and to cry out to God and say, God, don't you care about what I'm going through? God, don't you care about the storm that I'm in the midst of? God, why did you allow this storm? God, where are you at in the midst of this storm? God, are you asleep during my storm? Notice Jesus' response was very clear. He looked into their eyes and he says, you have no faith. No faith at all. Now remember that part. You have no faith. Number one, when we think about Jesus calming the storm, I want you to remember these three things. Number one, and that is God's providence. God's providence. Jesus knew very well about the storm that was coming, right? He knew all about the storm. When Jesus got on that boat, he knew there would be a storm to hit that ship. I'm amazed in the day and age in which we live that that the weathermen have such a poor record of accurate forecasting. That sounded a nice way to put it, right? The other day, I, I was looking at my phone. I've got that little phone. I pull up the weather app, and I, you know, I'm pretty cool. I'm doing all these cool things now. And I pull up the weather app because... For some reason, I have an idea that they might actually know what they're talking about. It, And I looked, and I was wondering what the weather is going to be like on Sunday. Because, you know, we want to go on a pretty day for Sunday. And it's like three or four days off, and I'm thinking, you know, and I'm wondering, I wonder if it's accurate. And then I looked under current conditions, and it said sunny. And I looked out the window, and it is pouring buckets. And I'm thinking, if they can't get the current conditions right, likely it's not, they're not going to have Sunday right quite yet, Right? The fact of the matter is when Jesus stepped onto that boat, he had something far more accurate than the Doppler radar. He was omniscient. He knew the storm was out there yet in his providence. He said, let's go. Let's go. Jesus initiated the journey that would lead them into the storm. Beloved, sometimes the storms that you and I are facing are those that God brings into our lives to develop and to use 
for his glory and his ultimate purpose. A pastor within the last couple of weeks in the Mount Airy area. He'd been fighting cancer for a couple of years. He was terminal and he kept preaching, kept filling that pulpit week in and week out. A young lady had been visiting the church and every week he would make that passionate plea for people to give their heart to Jesus. This one young lady, he had approached her and talked to her about her salvation. He said, I'm just not ready. Not willing to turn from her own life. I'm just not ready. The gentleman, the pastor was placed in intensive care in Baptist Hospital. They called his family in. The young girl that had been attending the church heard about it and it broke her heart. And she called and she said, is there any way that I could come visit the pastor? And they said, well, you're welcome to come. But honestly, he's sedated, he's out, he's incoherent. He probably won't even know that you're here. And she said, well, can I come anyway? And it just so happened that when she showed up, it was a time that the pastor's medicine was to be uh, renewed. And he had asked them, no, uh, just let me have some time to explain this young lady was coming. And in an amazing time of absolute coherency and clarity of mind, as this young lady came in, she said, I need to be saved. I need to respond. God's been speaking to me. And this pastor took her by the hand, led her down the Romans road, and she prayed in genuine faith to receive Christ as her Savior. Within 30 minutes of her visit, he slipped off again into a coma and passed away. Now think about this. The very last thing this dear pastor did on planet earth was lead someone to Jesus. Sometimes God is working through our storm. Sometimes God authors our storm. We don't want to be in a storm. We don't ask for a storm. I remember as a little boy, I never quite understood why they had to plan baseball season in the very same time that the rainy season always hit. And I loved to play baseball. That was my life. And I remember many days sitting in school and and just praying, God, please don't let it rain tonight. God, please don't let it rain tonight. God, please don't let it rain tonight because I want to play baseball. Sometimes it didn't rain. But sometimes over about 4, 4.30, I'd have my little uniform on. Should have put a picture of myself. Y'all have been impressed. And I'd go out in the yard and I'd wait on the game. And I begin smelling that smell. You know that smell. That smell that tells you somewhere off in the distance there's rain falling. And you'd notice the clouds begin to gather and they'd begin to get dark and there'd be a rumbling in the distance. And I'd keep on praying, God, please hold that storm off. God, please hold that storm off. God, I've got plans. I've got a game I want to play. But sometimes the storm came anyway. The fact of the matter is, friend, this game of life you and I are playing, we think that's all that's going on. We think that's all that matters. God, I've got a plan. God, I've got a game to play. God, hold the storms off. But friend, sometimes God allows the storms to keep on coming because through it all, he's got a greater purpose. There's the providence of the Savior, number two. There's the panic of the saints. Now remember, these are the men that had seen Jesus perform miracles. They knew, you know, about him and all of these things, and yet... The moment the storm happened, there was a panic. I am sincerely concerned about many people today who are making a decision to follow Christ based on a false promise that is this. If you will give your heart and life to Jesus, everything will be good. 
There will be smooth sailing. God will fill your barns with plenty. Your cup will run over every day. And they take little blips of Scripture and they pervert it and change it to make you think somehow that if you get saved, every day is going to be a Friday. Every day is going to be a glorious day. Every day is going to be a wonderful day. And here's what happens. They go along and for a while things are going great and they're thinking, wow, life is good. I've been forgiven. I've been redeemed. Life is so good. God is giving me His favor. God is giving me His blessing. And then all of a sudden, the storm begins to come. And then all of a sudden, we, they find themselves in the midst of that storm and they say, wait a minute. Now, this isn't what I bargained for. Wait a minute. This isn't what I was told. Wait a minute. I've been sold a false bill of goods. And they turn from their so-called faith and walk away. I think it's important we understand that as a believer, the Bible says this, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The Bible says that we need to expect those storms to come. And when they come, don't panic. Don't panic. In a couple of weeks, we'll get on a plane. There's 15, 16 of us, I think, going to Moldova. Can I just tell you, I don't like to fly. I'm convinced God wanted us to fly to put wings on us. But I also can't swim. Now, let me just explain if you don't know your geography. You can't get to Moldova without going across the sea or through the sea. You can't drive there, I don't think. I mean, I don't think. You, anyway, I'm pretty sure you can't. I'm not driving there. I don't, I maybe one of them amphibious cars. But anyway, but the fact of the matter is they'll buckle me into that airplane. And, they'll, and, and, and they're like, oh, it's nothing to it. Nothing to it. Nothing to it flying. Oh, it's a piece of cake. It's like sitting in your living room. I love it. And then the very first thing they do, they send some woman up there, all decorated out, and they put her in front of you, and she says, buckle your seatbelts. Okay, I can handle that. Buckle my seatbelt. And then she starts showing me what to do when we crash into the ocean. I'm going to take my seat and float on it, and I'm going to blow this thing up. I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to do this. You know, can I unbuckle and get off right now? Right? And then you get up in the air. And every once in a while, you know what you hit? They call it turbulence. That great big old 787 or whatever it is starts bouncing around up there like a Tonka toy. And you know what I do every time? I panic. I have gotten better. I used to scream out. I told them I had issues. They said, we know. I mean, little, little kids walking by me saying, Mr., it's going to be okay. Why? Because turbulence is not pleasant. But we must not panic. We must not panic. Number three. Notice not only is the providence of our Savior, but there's the panic of the saints. They cried out, Master, carest thou not that we perish? We're all going to die. They made it a little bigger than what it was, maybe. Thirdly, there was the peace. But... Look what happened. Jesus spoke and he said, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and, the, and there was a great calm. But what was calm? Now, now get this. Don't, don't miss this part. What was calm? Good answer, Joseph. The sea. The sailors, they weren't calm. Right? You see, in this particular instance, in this particular case, Jesus calmed the sea. He rebuked them and he said, why do you have no faith? Notice the last verse there. What happened? Verse 41, I believe it is. Notice what happens. And they feared exceedingly. Well, that's no different. They've been afraid the whole time. And they said to one another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and seas obey him? 
Now you would think that after he's just calmed the sea, they would say, aha, he's who he said he is. This is really him. This is Jehovah God. This is the Messiah. This is the one. The storm was calmed, but the saints were still confused. Still confused. After the miracle came the message. Jesus talked about faith, but the disciples still weren't convinced. So I want you to get this now. Let let God kind of connect the dots in your mind. Jesus calmed the storm in this instance, but they still weren't convinced. They still were not persuaded of who Jesus was. Plan B, Matthew 14. Sometimes God chooses not to calm the storm, but to calm us in the midst of the storm. Matthew 14, verse 22. The Bible says this. Now, Jesus has just fed the, 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 the thousands. I mean, he's just performed miracles. Uh, he, he's called these fishermen. It's just an amazing sight. And straightway, Jesus constrains his disciples to get into a ship. And this time he said, y'all go ahead. Y'all go ahead without me. And he sent the multitudes away with the full belly and all of these basketfuls, 12 basketfuls left over. Verse 23, and when Jesus sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. Stop there for a minute. I don't want you to to kind of skip over this part. We know that the rest of this story, that there would be a storm that night and, and the disciples again would panic and all of this. But where was Jesus? At this point, we see Jesus taking a journey into the mountains to be alone with the Father to pray. I think that's pretty impressive. Wouldn't that make you feel pretty special as a disciple to know that that Jesus, the Son of Almighty God, would be going to be in the Father's presence on your behalf? Wait a minute. The Bible says this. Here it is, July the 3rd, 2016. Where is Jesus Christ right now? The Bible says that he is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and for me. Isn't that awesome? You say, well, you mean there's a storm before me? Absolutely there's a storm before you, but take comfort knowing that Jesus is already talking about it to the Father. On your behalf and my behalf, continue looking. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea. They've been rowing. They've been going around in circles. The wind was contrary. Think about this. They were going in one direction, but the wind was contrary. They were trying to accomplish one thing, and the wind was against them. You ever felt like that? And in the fourth watch of the night, this would have been between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., Jesus went unto them walking on the stormy sea. So what happened? And the disciples, verse 26, saw him walking on the sea, and they were troubled. And they said, is this a spirit? And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Woo, stop there for a minute. I mean, put the pause button on. Don't miss this. When we read our King James Version here, and Jesus says, be of good cheer. It is I. That might bless your heart. But if you were a Greek scholar today, which I am not, but if you were a Greek scholar today and you were to come to this passage, you would understand Jesus is saying a whole lot more than, I'm here, y'all. 
What Jesus is literally saying is this. Be of good cheer. The I am is present. The I am is attending. The I am is here. He is identifying in this passage with God the Father, the Yahweh God of the creation, the one that they've been looking to, the one the Jews have hoped for. There's much debate today. There's much debate today on this subject. Do we serve the same God as other religions of the world? Do we serve the same God as the Muslims? Do we serve the same God as the Hindus? Do we serve the same God as the Buddhists? Do we serve the same God as many of these Eastern religions that we hear about as well? No. There is but one true living God. There is but one true creator God, and his name is Yahweh, the great I am. So when Jesus comes on the scene, walking on the water, he doesn't just say, it's Jesus, but he says, it is the I am. The I am is here on the midst of the sea. The I am is the only one that could walk on the sea, the one that created it. He might have created it as water, but if he wants to use it as stepping stones, he can. There's no other one that can dominate the sea except the great I am. Now continue looking. And Peter answered him. Now this is, this is where it gets good. Up until this point, there's no miracle. Wait a minute. You just said Jesus is walking on the water, but there's no miracle. That's not a miracle. He created it. He can walk on it. He's just doing what Jesus can do. If that makes sense, say amen. If you're still confused, say oh my. Okay, that's all right. That's all right. We're going to get to it. That's good stuff. I'm glad you're paying attention. All right? So here we go. Here's where the miracle begins. And Peter answered Jesus. Peter was always the first one to speak. He said, Lord, if it's really you, bid me come. Now, Peter is in the safety of the boat. Peter is in the safety of the ship. Peter is in the comfort. He's in the place of his security. Now, if I'm in the midst of the sea in a boat and the storm comes up, the last thing I'm doing is get out of the boat, you know, unless it's a bigger boat coming by and I get on it, you're right. But Peter says, I've got my comfort. I've got my safety. I've got my security. But Jesus, you're out there in uncharted territory for me. You're out there in the stormy sea. You're out there in the midst of the deep. I want to be where you are because I'd rather be out there with you than in here with these other characters, right? I have people come to me sometimes, teenagers will come and say, Pastor, I'm so conflicted. I've got everything planned out before me. My college, my career, all these things, but but God's tugging at my heart. God's calling me to the mission field. God's calling me to ministry. God's calling me. And and pastor, I just don't know what to do. I don't want to disappoint my parents and my grandparents. I don't want to disappoint my counselors at school. I I don't want to do something different than what the big plan is that everybody's got for me. But I just feel God's calling me. Oh, beloved, listen. We should never want our kids to stay in the security of the boat when Jesus is saying, hey. But Peter initiates this miracle. Jesus didn't say, Peter, I want you to come out here. But Peter spoke and said, Lord, I want to be where you are. There was, number one, the petition. Peter initiated the miracle. Number two, notice the peace. And Jesus said one word, come. I love that word. Jesus says, come. Jesus, don't miss here, very important doctrinal point. Wake up your neighbor if they're asleep. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, come. 
Peter could not take the first step if Jesus didn't draw him. Okay? Sometimes people have this idea that I can get saved whenever I get ready to get saved. I can make up my mind one day if I just decide today's the day I'm going to get saved, I'll just go get saved. We can't get saved unless the Father bid us, unless Jesus bid us, unless the Holy Spirit bid us. So Peter said, Lord, if it's you, I want to be where you are. But Jesus initiated that call and he said, come, come to me. And only in response to the invitation of the Son of God could Peter come. And when Peter was coming down out of the ship, he walked on the water. Let, let, me, let me back up there. He walked on the stormy sea. He walked on the raging water. He walked on the waves to go to Jesus. It's important you understand. When Peter took that first step into the water, the, the seas didn't just calm right down. The wind didn't cease. The rain didn't cease. I mean, it's still stormy. Peter's still willing. Isn't it amazing? When you're in the presence of God, when you are filled with the power of God, when you are led of the Spirit of God, I mean, there are things that you're willing to do that are just unimaginable. I'll do whatever. But Peter takes that step. And then he looks around him. Notice what the Bible says. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. When he was afraid... He began to sink. When he began to sink, he cried out like a little girl. No offense to little girls. I know that's not in here. That's Prince Cameron version, all right? But he did. Think about that. He took his eyes off the Savior, put it on the storm, put it on the sea, put it on his crisis, and he began to sink. Number one, the petition. Peter really wanted a miracle. Number two, there was the peace. There was peace in Peter's life so long as he kept his eyes on the Savior. But number three, there was the panic. There was the panic. The moment Peter took his eyes off of his Savior, his heart was filled with panic, with fear, with anxiety, with dread. Then Jesus said, look real clear, verse 31. And immediately as as Peter began to sink into the stormy sea, Now, this does not look on the page as rough as I'm sure it was. This is a storm. This is a tough storm. I could tell you all about the storm and how how it happens in that particular part of the world. It's an amazing picture. But these storms would come up in an instant, and, uh, and they're the most violent on this planet. It's not just this lovely picture of Peter kind of sinking. Peter is going to die unless something happens. And Jesus stretches forth his hand and he says, I got you. I got you. Pretty, pretty cool words. I wish I could swim. I don't understand the the whole thing of swimming. People get mad at me. Don't say you can't swim. Anybody can swim. Come watch me. I don't understand it. You can throw a Volkswagen in the river. It'll swim as well as I do. I mean, right to the bottom. I try, I do everything like he's supposed to, but I I can't do it. But I I love to get out there and flop around in the water. I want you to imagine somebody's out there and they can't swim and they're drowning. What's the sweetest words they could possibly hear? I got you. I got you. (laughs) Peter heard those words and Jesus then looked at him. He caught him and he said, oh, thou of, what does the Bible say? Little faith. 
We're making progress. Mark chapter 4, they were people of no faith. Now they're people of little faith. He says, oh, Peter, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt my sovereignty over this storm? Why did you doubt my power over this storm? Why did you doubt the peace I came to give you? Verse 32, and when they came into the ship, not before, but when they were coming to the ship, the winds ceased. The winds ceased. Even when Jesus had him, the storm was still going on. Why? Because the desire of God in that point was not to calm the storm, but to calm him in the storm. Verse 33, last thing and I'm done. The biggest word in this text is the four-letter word that begins verse 33, then. In other words, after all this. As a result of all this, then they that were in the ship came and they worshiped him and they said, of a truth, thou art the son of God. It was only after the storm had been ceased. And then in the next account, only after the saint had been stilled, did they truly believe. The miracle in this case led to their worship. Why does God allow storms in our life? Many times to convince us of who he is and to whose we are. I don't know what kind of storm you might be going through. I know this morning when I watched a 54-year-old man come into a worship service toting his oxygen, he and his wife huddling together the whole service, can't turn one another loose because they know their days are probably numbered. I know what kind of storm they're going through. It's evident. Your storms and my storms are many times hidden. Nobody else knows about them. But there's a storm. In every life, there's a storm. My challenge for you today, beloved, is that you would praise Him in your storm. Father, as we enter into a time of invitation and response, and as we are reminded that we must have peace in our storm, and that we must praise you in our storm, so that you might receive the glory, that you might receive the honor, that you might receive the praise. God, when the storms of life come, we thank you when you choose to calm them. But we also thank you when you choose to be with us through the storm. Ah, Father, for every storm in this room, and for everyone who's just trying to survive it, may we commit together today to praise you in the storm.